Resident Advisors Exchange. I'm Martha. Thank you for choosing us. On this week's episode, we welcome back Helena Starr, who caught up with Object Blue. I do really like pulling the rug from under the clubbers. Like, I do yeah. like fucking things up and like <laughs> uh, stopping the beat, changing the tempo really quickly. So, that is something I do have in common with my production style. I just don't like predictability. Well respected for her transcendent DJ sets and performances, Object Blue is a Rinse FM resident, creator of a very special essential mix and composer of a Vivian Westwood catwalk soundtrack. Object Blue started to share her productions with the world in 2018 and is now about to release her fifth project, an audiovisual adventure titled Grotto, on TT, the label formerly known as Tobago Tracks, which was also the home of Object Blue's first ever release. In this conversation, the two of them discuss austerity in the UK, how Object Blue tackles writer's block, and the story of the 2P coin that helped her get into music school. Object Blue, so wonderful to be chatting with you today. How are you doing? Good, thank you. Um, I hope you liked what you heard of Grotto so far. Oh, what I've heard so far, I've absolutely loved. I feel like, I mean, that's probably a great place to start. It's out very soon on the 5th of March. Um, What's it been like for you releasing in this time? Uh, It actually gave me more freedom, I think, because I haven't had to worry about um, whether this is playable in clubs or not because as much as like we don't like to admit it, how much it can be played in clubs and festivals really do um, affect how people pick it up if people pick it up fast or um, uh, it's kind of like a slow burner so I didn't have to worry about any of that I always knew I would make a non-dancey EP um, several times in my career so I was like, okay, the time is right. So yeah, this this wasn't necessarily planned, but it was just from being being at home and kind of being in that time, you were able to to look into things that you might not have been able to produce before. Yeah, I think um, if I had been playing gigs as usual, as if Corona didn't happen, mm. I probably would be in a different headspace and I might make, I might wait to make a listening EP because you know I'd be so preoccupied with dance music and being on the floor Uh, but certainly that wasn't the case this past year I was in a writer's block um, for almost a year actually really yeah this 2019 yeah late 2019 Mm. um, I went into it I remember it was like November and um, I just stopped being able to make anything I was interested in Mm. like I I would make something and the next day I'd listen to it and be like, this is awful. Um, I don't like it. And I usually don't feel that about the stuff I make. Um, so I knew that was bad. And I just waited and waited and waited. And then the pandemic hit. And then everyone's like, how are you staying creative during the pandemic? And I'm yeah. like, I am not creative, period. Um, <laughs> and uh, But thankfully, it came to me like very suddenly... Uh, last fall and I finished this pretty much one go yeah it was Mm. great I feel like that's something which I hear kind quite often actually with producers they they have a a, like a burst of creativity and and something comes out of it in like a space of a week is that right to say that for this CP yeah I write like that um I know a lot of people don't and I really envy people who write every day you know the kind of people who have this routine of like opening Ableton at 10am after they've had their coffee (laughs) like I'm just never been like that about anything Uh, I Mm. only get this burst to write because 
I love music and I'm obsessed with it and I get this really natural urge to write mm-hmm. um, it just doesn't happen every single day uh, but uh, this was no exception um, although I am trying to get a diagnosis for adult ADHD um, really? yeah because like after I met my wife she pointed out some yeah. things to me that made me think like hmm maybe I have ADHD and I took my friend's Ritalin and it fucking worked like I was so afraid I'd feel high wow. or something but like I could just like sit down and focus on a task yeah uh, which and you, I and usually found that before no I wish re- I really can't and like I mm. have a very small like current memory so mm. I'm fine remembering things from the past but for example like I'll be on Ableton and I'll think, oh, I'm thirsty. I'm going to go get a glass of water. And while Mm. I walk to the kitchen, I will see like a letter that I didn't open. So I'll open the letter and I'll be like, oh, shit, I need to call my mom about this. And then I'll try to call my mom. But then like, I'll just take a photo of my dog. And then like, I'll be like, (laughs) what was I doing? And like, I'm like five activities away. Um, So that was really hard. Like, uh, and I've been like this all my life. Um, Mm. I've just no, I've just like really worked hard to try to get better by using like planners and phone reminders. Yeah. Um, Having a great manager like Emily who like has to email me several times a week. Like, here are your deadlines. These are the things you've (laughs) been working on. Um, So I, I wonder if I can get a prescription for Ritalin, like if that will change Mm. my writing style um and if it does i'm sure it's only for the best because like i it is not recreational for me it's just literally just doing the bare minimum of course and actually that must be quite a a really great experience to to know what is happening with you as well because i'm sure that could be frustrating not really understanding why you're not necessarily um getting things done that you would would like to so to have that kind of diagnosis would be really helpful yeah totally i think if you are in an artistic field it's even harder like because it's harder to quantify how much work there is like what's your normal rate of working um so it's really hard to notice that i am slower or you know something's kind of off like i just thought i was a lazy bastard um and (laughs) i had so much self-loathe about it and Mm. but i was like it doesn't make sense i don't not do it because i don't want to do it i just see it just seems like i can't do it's like i'm trying to swim to this destination but i just keep sinking but i would rather just swim straight there uh so yeah who knows i hear you but you're still producing i mean fantastic music and i mean being able to have a little sneak peek of of the ep has been so exciting Um, thank you and also exciting to see the collaboration between you and your lovely wife natalia um how has that experience been especially in this time of kind of solitude and i guess you you two have been together with your with your new fairy friend as well but how's it been working together (laughs) oh it's been great um it actually like you know, lets us break out of this mind-numbing monotony and um, this weird feeling of like, oh, I'm sure things will be back to normal by the new year, by March, and now it's looking like it's going to be even longer. There's this like never-ending, like constantly extending state of pandemic and uh, it's really exhausting. So I was just thinking today, like, oh... um, you know, it's uh, it's a few weeks until Grotto is released. It's a few weeks until people see the video that Natalia made um, and the live set I played. And like that really gives us both an achievement. Um, For sure. And it's great because we're both working and I would feel like shit if she was constantly working and I was bored or vice versa. <laughs> um, so that, that's been really nice. And um, I think it really must affect both our art in... Mm, like subconscious ways like I didn't make Grotto thinking like oh I will make this because I think my wife will like it Um, and I'm sure she doesn't think that when she's making sculptures and videos either but we both happen to really like 
each other's work, especially this one. I mean, I've always been a huge fan of her work. Um, That's the best. Uh, her, I don't... Like, she says she likes my music, but it's not like she listens to it all the time. Uh, <laughs> but Grotto, she was like, wow, I love this. This is great. And I was like, yeah, you know what? Probably because we've spent every single day together for a year. Yeah. Um, and not much else is going on in our life. So we might just sync up like that. Yeah, for sure. And you're kind of learning so much about each other as well, that probably being in each other's artistic spaces, maybe maybe your art overlaps in, in emotion and feeling. Yeah, I'm not surprised if that's the case. She just got a gigantic monitor. It's bigger than um, our TV. So like I can always <laughs> see what she's doing no matter where I am in the flat. And it's really that. cool. Yeah. I thought she was for for like one day. I thought she was just like making like tits all day. But then it turned out to be eyeballs. <laughs> and I was like, why is she making t like floating tits? Eyeballs. That also sounds great. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Yeah, I, I was like, I guess she's just going to put floating tits in my video, which I am not against necessarily. But eyeballs were also into it. It's cool. Yeah, because um, she's making a jester for me, like a clown. Oh, wow. Because... um that's something like I've always thought about I always felt like a clown in my family not because I was funny and popular but because I was a freak and I always felt like I had to like put on this farce and not reveal the real me stuff like that and so when yeah. I was writing Grotto and I was basing it on this made-up story about protagonists in a family mm. and I was like yeah there's definitely a jester in this story so um and then she turns around and says, what do you think about Jester hats uh, in the video? And I was like, oh, I want a Jester in the video. So like that was another incident of us just coincidentally thinking about the same thing. Um, so, that's yeah, so that's what the eyeballs were for. The, the eyeballs were for the Jester? Or yeah, just for, for the Jester. The, for the Jester. And speaking of your family and your up, your upbringing, so, I mean, you just mentioned then that you, you felt kind of out of place at home. Was that because you kind of had a different outlook on the world and and what you wanted to do? Yeah, totally. Like, my parents and my sister are all, like, strictly in business. And mm. um, my dad says he likes music, but I guess because he's, like, a boomer, he doesn't have a music player that he carries <laughs> around. But like we, when we do go karaoke, we sing a lot together. Nice. Uh, <laughs> but other than that, yeah, I was always like the weirdo of the family. Um, and uh, and I remember when I said I wanted to do music seriously, my mom was like, "Are you joking me? What am I gonna tell my friends? Like this is so embarrassing." And I was like, "Just shut up." Um, <laughs> and <laughs> and my dad actually pushed me for it, which was really nice. I wasn't expecting cool. that. Yeah, he was mm. like, because I was twenty three, twenty four at that time, mm. and I was like, "Look, I went to university, and like, you know, now before I have to like face the real world, I really want to take my music seriously. Like, can I move back in and?" write music and if I give me a year and if nothing comes of it I'll like get a job and then my mom was furious but my dad was like you're young do it now you know you're not married you don't have kids like do it now because like you're, you don't want to miss your chance yeah and I was like sure. thank you so much that's so kind and he was like who knows maybe electronic music will become popular one day <laughs> And look, isn't are. that so funny? I was like, Dad, That's electronic great. music is already popular. Don't worry about it. Like, yeah. You listen to Madonna for fuck's sake. One day, I love that. One day, maybe. maybe he he said, in your much. lifetime, in your lifetime, maybe people will start listening to computer music. I was like, Dad, people did in your lifetime too. Uh, but yeah, they're they're understanding now of my career. They still don't really get it, but yeah. But they see they see what you're doing, and I'm sure they're sure they're really proud of you and what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, they they are. Like, um, my mom was like, "Oh, you're always traveling. That's so dangerous. Your manager should fly with you to all of your gigs." And I was like, "I don't think my manager nor I can afford that, mom." And she's just <laughs> like, "Unbelievable." <laughs> a, a question: Did you grow up playing instruments, or was this really? Um, like you said, in your early 20s that you started to unveil your artistry within music. 
I played the piano since I was a young child. Um, and when I was 13, I was like, I'm not interested in piano. Like, I got into rock music then, you know. And I was oh, like, cool. this is not what I'm looking for. And I quit. But when I was like uh, 15 or 16, I discovered Tori Amos because I'm like you know a melancholic woman um and then I was like whoa pianos are amazing and then I like <laughs> trained really hard for two years and that was the wow that was my best as a piano player when I was like 18 or so but I was never good enough to be a professional um and and I knew that very well I just wanted to make music and I I always did write some piano music since I was a kid I I really liked to improvise on the piano and I still do like to improvise but this time in Ableton um yeah but obviously once I moved away for uni I didn't have a piano anymore and like you know you don't play piano for like three days and you can feel it in your hands and now I can no longer play um but I I knew I loved music. I was always obsessed with it. You know, like I was always the one to submit like music reviews to like the middle school paper. Like, you know, <laughs> like I was always the one to like send music to my friends. Um, yeah. Uh, but it was really only when I was like 24 that I just exploded. And I was like, I have to make music like my own music I have to learn production otherwise I'm just going to suffocate was and that from listening to electronic music or was that from just listening to a variety of music going out and listening to music in the clubs and stuff like that or was, I listen to everything um mm. And uh, when I first started production, I was just making super weird music with like no tempo, no time signature, no key signature. Um, because I thought like that's what I had to do to stand out. Yeah. Um, and I ended up just making a shitload of like music concrete, which is like a hundred years too late and like <laughs> did not stand out at all. Um, but then I, uh, I moved back to London because I was always on a student visa here. And then I... Yeah. When I finished my first degree, I moved back to my parents um, to self-study production. But I applied for music school in secret. I applied to Guildhall School of Music and Drama. Wow. Because uh, they have an electronic music course. And most music schools need, you know, ABRSM, piano, 12th grade. You know, you yeah. need to have played at like uh, the Carnegie Hall or whatever. But f the electronic music degree didn't ask for anything like that because it understands it's a non-conventional discipline. So you just had to That's submit. Incredible. Yeah, that was really cool. I just had mm. to like submit what I'd done so far. And like they gave, they give exams. So they say like take a two pence coin and... Um, make a two-minute piece um, using just the sounds of the 2p coin and that was your entry yeah that was my entry exam brilliant do you still have that piece <laughs> I might yeah I might That's so and I actually ended up making it really techno and I don't know why <laughs> um, nice. I can hear that yeah <laughs> I just like, ding, 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 ding. like I was like throwing the coin like on the kitchen floor I was like scratching the bathroom wall with it and my mom was like stop it like what the fuck are you doing but I couldn't tell her I applied to music school so I was just I'm like just yeah I was like oh you know mom I'm just crazy ha 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 like <laughs> just like completely psychotic uh and then I got into music school and then I was like um hey I got into music school I would really love to go and that's when my dad told me that electronic music might become popular in the future so that was your introduction into production yeah and to from production there, you just you've just found your own sound from the, that moment um, yes it took a lot of clubbing I spent yeah every weekend at Corsica Studios in 2015 um I used to go to plastic people about all the time yeah yes like oh. uh my my like early London musical experiences like going to Sounds of the Universe record store in Soho still one of my favorite places Incredible. and there's a guy there um who, who he actually has an NTS show called Sun it's a white guy that has the name Sun in his show I think but he used to work there and he used to give me all these recommendations he was really sweet and he says oh I DJ uh, Plastic People sometimes you should come 
So Amazing. that's how I got into clubbing. Um, I had a dedicated uh, clubbing friend, Shrati, who like, and we always had this deal, like, we're not there to get drunk or party, we're just there to dance, so we... That is the best. Yeah. That is what it should be, I love hearing that. <laughs> yeah, it was so nice, so, like, we always watch out for each other, if guys come talk to us, we immediately, like, pull each other away, like, we had a Lovely signal for here. water break, um, so, like, we just, like, go to the bar, get a cup of water, come back, and we did that all the time, uh, but while I was away from London for a year, Plastic People closed, I was heartbroken. And then I'd only been to Corsica once before that, but when I moved back to London, I was like, oh, I really like the lineups they have, you know, like... Um, Do you remember a specific lineup that you went to that you were like, that, this is where I need to be? <laughs> yes, the Janus <laughs> Showcase with Kablam and Mesh. Oh, my God. Oh, oh Mesh. <laughs> yeah, that really right. changed me. That, that, I think, is one of the most influential moments in my life. And I'm a huge That's fan of amazing. Kablam and uh, we got to play together in China a few years oh. later and that was amazing. And we're still really good wow. friends. That's so cool. So that was that moment you were in Corsica listening to Kablam yeah. from how many years until you were uh, then playing with them? Four years, yeah. That's incredible. What yeah, a moment. That was so cool. And I remember she was sound checking um, and she sound checks really thoroughly, even for DJing. And like, I remember standing behind her in that club in, uh, I forgot which, it was Loopy Hanjo. And I remember standing behind her in the booth and I teared up a little bit because I was like, oh my gosh, she's such a genius. So yeah, <laughs> it's that an was emotional nice. moment. Yeah, and then I played in Stockholm a year after that and she lives in Stockholm. Uh, so I told her and her boyfriend to come and you know like alcohol is so expensive in Scandinavia so I kept sneaking them drinks from backstage (laughs) and like we got wasted Um, I played the same track twice because I was so drunk and (laughs) it was great fun you're like, we need to drink all the alcohol now because it's so expensive. It's so it expensive there. Touring in Scandinavia is harrowing. You know, I was told that and, I'm and not... And they shut, don't they, early? They shut at like eight or something. Super oh, no, that was not shots. my experience. Like, I remember I played oh. in Finland and uh, my set was from like 2 a.m. till 5 a.m. Nice. And, uh, but because it was the summer, the sun starts going down up at like 1 30 a.m so you know what everyone that everyone went outside to have a beer i mean i would too if the sun came up and i were in a club i wouldn't stay in a dark basement i would go to the garden and have a beer with my friends so i played to like an empty floor (laughs) everyone was drinking beers watching the sun i know i was like damn i wish i wish i was out there (laughs) put a super long track on yeah i know (laughs) <laughs> and actually something I wanted to speak to you about as well as your mixes is your radio shows. Yeah. I mean, people love your productions, but your radio shows I feel like are such a great representation just of how expansive your knowledge and your taste is also. Um what has been a joy for you doing doing radio? Oh, thank you. That is so kind. I never feel it's that so knowledgeable compared to other people. Uh, but I do really try to play um, like not famous artists, young artists, new artists or mm. people who have been making music for years, but they only have like 60 plays on their SoundCloud because a lot Love of that. them are so good. Like I'm not playing these music as a pity play. I'm doing it because I really think it's good and it's exciting. Um, and the joy for me has been people saying, oh, I got an EP deal because they heard your music on my show. Like, wow. Yeah. Like my biggest achievement, uh, perhaps my every one of these is an achievement, but perhaps my most famous achievement is Lorraine James. Really? Yeah. So I so Lorraine emailed me her music in 2018 and I was immediately like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Mm. Who, Who is this? Like, um. And um, 
And I was like, oh, another woman making, you know, experimental dance music. Like, awesome. Like, she also lives in London. And then she mentioned she's gay. And I'm like, oh, another gay woman making experimental. And then she's <laughs> black. And then I'm like, oh, another racial minority lesbian. <laughs> and, uh, and like, it was so crazy. Yay. But I didn't, I didn't know any of that at first. I just knew that her music was amazing. Mm. She sent me the, the one where she samples Mariah Carey. Um thinking of you and I was like immediately I was like come do a live set on my rinse show oh that's so great yeah I had for the first few rinse shows I didn't have DJ sets um I only had people do like live production mixes so she brought her controller and she played for um an hour and then like I knew her music belonged on Hyperdub the moment I heard it. Mm. So I posted the radio show archive and I just kept tagging Hyperdub and Code 9 on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. Because I knew if I did it enough times, like they would see it. And as soon as they heard it, I knew it would work out. And it did. Wow. I mean, what a journey for her as well. That's such an incredible story. Yeah, I'm so happy for her. Like, I'm, I'm really, really glad that you know I had a helping hand I mean I always told her like it would have happened anyway if it wasn't me the yeah. next person who heard you would have done that you know if it, yeah. if it wasn't this year next year and if not next year next decade who cares like it would have happened mm. anyway because you are a genius um, but I feel very happy that I could have a hand in um, sharing Lorraine's music with a bigger audience because look how happy made so many people all over the world me included I mean that's I mean that's so fun to hear and like for I guess for a lot of people listening as well who also love Lorraine James listening will be like that's a great connection a great story to yeah yeah a great path on her journey I love that yeah (laughs) me too Machine Woman did something similar for me um when I was starting out yeah um it was a really nice chain of friendships like she kept tag she would like post my soundcloud links on twitter and tag like ben ufo and like fact mag and i'll be like stop that's (laughs) what we need to see more of though i I, that's what i love hearing about i think a lot of women in the industry are all about raising people up and kind of bringing people up as well and yeah and that's what i try to do with my radio shows because Mm. like people might not you know music fans might not necessarily have twitter or instagram or don't like to check but if i can you know like if they ever tune into the radio because they want to hear some tunes i'm sure that's a very organic way of finding new artists that they like 100 percent. yeah I must say, the beginning of, I think it was your Rinse show on Christmas Eve. Yeah. Um, you were talking about kind of what we've all been feeling in the past year. Well, I say we all, a lot of us. Um, the current government and the austerity that the UK has faced over the past 10 years, mm-hmm. the, the the need and the hoping for change, um, especially in the uh, electronic dance and electronic industry. Um, I feel like a lot of people aren't vocal about this and I know that you have really have been on Twitter is this something that you feel is really important to do yeah I think it's really important to do if you're not an artist if you are an artist like it doesn't like everyone should have ethics and moral responsibility um I basically just implied that if you're conservative you're not ethical which I stand by you're definitely not ethical so just shut up um and uh, just so you know, Tories are not allowed to listen to my music. And if there's a an e- Tory listening to this and you fig- you find this out for the first time, I've already like I've said it many times. So take the hint. Um, <laughs> I I think it's uh, really important to voice um, these things, especially given that yeah, I know the dance music sector like is a huge economic power but let's face it like we're not you know um uh calvin harris we're not trying to like you know secure a deal with diplo and like a coca-cola so (laughs) like we don't even have that much to lose you know we have Mm. such a niche scene and Mm. even in this really niche insular almost incestuous scene where everyone knows everyone and somebody's ex is there is somebody's new ex and blah 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 i feel like it's even more important to be compassionate and 
like morally concerned about the state of things um uh especially now that we have nothing better to do with our time <laughs> than to sit and think about how unjust and corrupt everything is mm-hmm. yeah i like don't you talk on radio that much um mainly because I just can't be bothered to What set my mic I, up. I really enjoyed listening to you speaking, actually, when I was <laughs> listening back to your shows. It was really, it's nice to hear a Thank bit you. about of who you are and what you believe in. I think that's, I think it's super important. Thank you. I mean, I kind of stopped being active on Twitter because I just felt so tired. Like a few mm. things happened on Twitter that I just felt like were people airing out their personal drama. Yeah. That like are not political issues and using like political language um mm. and uh, like you know lib- like libera- liberation politic terminology and that really offends me because i just think like imagine if you say to like angela davis like oh this dj was mean to me and my friends and i feel like I don't like them anymore. And Angela Davis will be like, "Shut up, I'm busy." You know? <laughs> and then I feel like It's on true. S- you're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> like and I feel like on social media like things get misconstru- misconstru- misconstrued and um mm. like you know, miscommunicated a lot and I just don't think it's that uh useful for people mm. to learn together. So I have, you know, stayed away from Twitter for a bit, but uh because it was the end of the year on um and I wanted to thank everyone for listening for the past year my radio shows. I was like, I'm going to say something. Um <laughs> and yes, as you right. <laughs> and uh, I know like I will definitely be out and having fun and drinking apple spritz in the sun with like 10 of my friends when things are safe to do so but i hope that Absolutely. like in that flurry of fun and trying to make lost time i really hope we don't forget the like the realizations we've had this past year um mm. how vulnerable people are and how the vulnerable are treated in our society i was saying this to emily my manager yesterday on the phone you know like i grew up in china and japan and um china is you know, technically still the third world um and japan is a first world country but it's still not in europe right it's not the west right. and like all our life we're sold Britain and the US as like this pinnacle of civilization mm. like you know you can't go any higher as human beings just look at them they're so ahead uh mm. they have oxford they have harvard and i come here and it's a mess <laughs> <laughs> and i'm not saying japan and china aren't messes Someone like lied. given the <laughs> yeah given the three countries i would live in the uk most primarily because it affects my personal life in a better way like you know i can get yeah. married here to a woman like i can uh i used to be able to make a living off of art which is both of which are really hard to do in east asia um but then but still i'm just like guys like this country is a mess and the, the, yeah like you say the austerity that's been going on and there are no benefits statistically no benefits to austerity except for the 1% on the top and yeah. we still keep voting in that party and uh, you know what i don't blame them because labor is so toothless it is too busy deceiving you know jeremy corbin um like they're all conservatives like pretending to be uh, centrists uh, and they're it's yeah it's it's <laughs> disgusting to be honest like people say that they wouldn't trust keir starmer uh to replace johnson and johnson has done so badly you know people who mm-hmm. had their relatives die by johnson say that they wouldn't trust keir starmer to take over what does that say about the political yeah. system it's rotten and we should overthrow it i know this is ra exchange and we'll get back into the music but i just had to say that out loud look that's exactly what i was going to say but i completely agree with everything you've just said and i th- i do i really am someone who believes that it's important to to voice your vocal your your political standpoint and just your like 
have a bit of social consciousness you know yeah um, totally so. and like they the, being a growing up as a woman people don't expect you to know this shit or care you yeah. know mm. um mm. there's this great nina simone talk uh, a quote where she says like oh like what she was asked in an interview like oh what do you and your friends talk about on like a relaxing night and she was like we just talk about marxism it's real girls talk <laughs> and then i uh, like yeah like you know it's real girls talk I like yeah it. um and uh it's just like like you get infantilized and uh d- dismissed so much as if like mm. it's impossible for a woman to have intellectual faculties of men and then once you start voicing things they're like you know what you're just a social justice snowflake warrior obviously because you're a minority and i'm like we no so i just terms, don't we? i know i know we we are we contain multitudes um we yeah just because i have like working brain cells it doesn't mean i have to succumb to your idea of this placid smiling for the camera I, and i know there are a lot of artists like that um and uh, but i am not one of them and i don't need to be called what i'm not amen amen um, and going back into the music, probably actually quite a good point to start on. Um, I, I use this word a lot and I feel like a lot of people do, but I use the word texture when describing sound. And I really, I do feel like you've got all the embellishing attached. You've got the ribbon, you've got the lace, but they're all sitting together so well. Um, and that crossover between visual art and sound clearly plays heavily with in your work um you composed for vivian westwood's show um and you create alongside natalia as well have you always been drawn towards using mixed media or has this been something which has just grown along with your music taste that's a big question it's definitely grown um i i've always liked visual art um i've always been really uh deliberate and passionate about how I dress as well Mm. um and I did try to like study uh some design but I just don't care about it enough like I'm not passionate about enough as music so I was always very just like I just do music um and how I like collaborating and making my work multimedia is I just take other artists whose work I like and I tell them to do whatever like when Natalia and I first started working together she'll be like okay so what do you want and I'll be like do whatever you want and she'll be like <laughs> this is so annoying like you need to tell me things um but then I find that that's always the best rather than me being a control freak over a medium I don't know much about I think yeah um i just find it more satisfying and much more effective to let people do what they want like for example it's not like i could say to vivian westwood um and andreas uh hey i'm making this kind of music for you can you make the dress a bit different like no i was i was not (laughs) trust me i was not in that conversation um i mean they did they they were the ones who told me like oh can you make it like romantic you know like Mm. opulent but can you make it quiet at the beginning stuff like that then I really enjoyed working with like directions like that because in my solo work I don't have any limitations you know like that I can make whatever I want and I have like labels like TT who are generous and um, mm. they like experimental stuff and they never tell me, can you make it a bit more palatable? So I do work with no restrictions usually. And when I get that restriction handed to me, sometimes it's like an exercise, like a writing exercise. It's very fun. That's great. And in terms of the EP again, um, was it all recorded and filmed at, at home? Uh, or was it recorded somewhere else? I, I kind of have this vision in my head of you and Natalia creating a space in your flat and turning it into this magical wonderland. <laughs> oh, thanks. I mean, the audio was all done in my laptop at home. Yeah. Um, but uh, we actually went to a studio with a green screen and Natalia filmed me there playing the live set. And that's what you see in the trailer and that's what you're going to see in the show that's coming out on the 5th of March on the release day. Well, I'm very excited for it. (laughs) Yeah, it's great. I really love the way it's looking. I was 
initially thinking about something much more like just like a normally shot film with like I wanted to drape like plastic sheets over my bed and to make it kind of like a sweaty claustrophobic greenhouse um wow yeah but then Natalia then told me that she wouldn't have space in our flat uh to put the camera where it, the bed would fit in the frame so uh, we decided instead just to use a green screen so Natalia can just mm. make the space up from scratch I mean it's a lot of work for her but I'm not doing it so I don't mind <laughs> and in terms of your producing of this EP I know you kind of touched on it briefly before um, but did you take any different approaches that you might not have taken say with your um, previous bodies of work yeah, I actually pulled a very old melody I had um, when I was a teenager and I used that in the opener and the last track of the EP. Um, I usually don't use old material in my EPs. I usually just start the EP. I know it's for this EP and it's going in there. But this one, it was like, oh, hi, me from 10 years ago, I'm going to borrow this melody. Uh, because I thought it would it, it fit. So that was fun. It was nice to finally hear in a finished way this melody that's been in my head mm. since I was a teen. Um, oh, and which track did that um, appear on? Oh, the opener and the closed. The oh, I like yes. thought of, I imagined it as a string quartet when I was um, a teenager and I even wrote it down in a school. Uh, but I never, you know, had the opportunity to realize it. And like, I'm not really like a composer anyway. I can't really write mm. four strings. Um, and so... I was like, hey, I bet if I did this on synths, it'll sound good. And it did. I used three different synths um, wow. layered. That's why it sounds really full. Um, yeah. Yeah. And um, the, there's this like bleeping part like that comes out like uh, as like a byproduct of the main synth line because I chose a synth that had this like um, LFO filter on it. And um, that's my favorite part. And uh, I, I called that stem funny games because it sounds like an old game console uh and i usually really shy away from things that remind me of game consoles because like i really like i can't stand 8-bit music for example like i'm just not interested <laughs> in that shit um <laughs> but then i i really liked it in conjunction with the other synths in the tracks yeah. so i kept it and it's very ethereal that's what i've written down i've written emotional melodic That's thank what you I've, <laughs> I've written to describe it just there yeah um, the biggest difference making grotto from my older tracks is i spent so much more time thinking of melodies and harmonies mm. i usually cannot be bothered it's hard for me to write melodic material um but uh people kept saying to me like oh but I think you have nice melodic material in your work and I'm like where I don't hear it um so uh I brought that to the forefront this time um I mean I love percussion and texture timbre mm. rhythm are my favorite in music but you have to you know you have to admit that melody has an unbelievable capacity for creating mm. or describing feelings or emotions i think it must also have to do with the fact that i got really into kate bush at the beginning of the lockdown oh kate bush <laughs> i mean that's a, a great artist to be blaring out oh my god her, her, her melody writing is incredible like it's Super unbelievable emotional. i it's so cool that such mm. an unconventional melody would become top of the charts like running up that hill like it's the the phrase even the phrase lengths aren't even yeah. regular it's very angular melodies hard to memorize like uh, but people still try to do it at karaoke like desperately <laughs> it's so great it's just such a genius i mean i'm sure kate bush influenced grotto now that i think about it that's really i, I was gonna ask who influenced this is you in general but i mean kate bush in grotto i feel like when i'm i'm gonna have a listen again with my eyes closed and just oh like, yeah just yeah it's kate just bush a kate bush cover around. album <laughs> yeah oh my god i should totally <laughs> tell a tt to just like sell it as not like coming nice. from object blue the kate bush cover out tribute 
And what else um, were you exploring sonically whilst exploring this? I know you just mentioned um, melodies, but was there anything else that you wanted to really put to the forefront whilst you were creating? I wanted to put this feeling of like camp grandeur. Um, oh, yes. and, uh, and I wanted to make it really ornamental with a lot of details. So mm. I wanted it to be like the opposite of minimalism. Um, I wanted it to be just, you know, like I go through like phases in how I dress and there are things that like I will always love and I always wear. But other than that, like I get really strong urges to dress in a certain way. And then for the past year, it's been like, like I want to look like like I live in like 16th century France, you know, like so I want like corsets and panniers and gathers and frills. Um, Love it. And uh, that's the kind of aesthetic I was going for uh, with Grotto. I wanted it to be very, like, frilly um, mm. and melodramatic, like, you know, to the point where when people say, like, oh, I don't like this new EP, it's so melodramatic, I'll be, I'll, like, come in you with a fan yes. and be like, you think? <laughs> like, um, and uh <laughs> so you come in with a fan yeah 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 and i'll be like what did you say dramatic i would have never guessed you know that sort of um and then you'll you'll faint and and wait for someone to catch you yeah exactly that that exactly <laughs> so that's what i was going for and then i was like hmm how do i do that and then i arrived at writing a lot of melodies and um just adding in a lot of details like uh, it's really easy when you make dance music to rely on loops. You know, you mm. you rely on loops. If you do just look for eight bars, you have like the first section, um, and uh, that's like a tried and tested formula. But then I kept on telling myself break out of loops, like introduce things that haven't appeared before. Mm. Um, and uh, it's funny because like the more the EP progresses, like, the more it falls apart. Like, the first track, you can hear it's repeated. It is a bit messy. It's in 5-4, and then there's, like, one measure every um, eight bars. That's 6-4. Uh, it slows down in tempo. But otherwise, it's the same melody repeating over and over again. In the second track, it's still very structured, but there's like an A section and a B section. In the B section, the feeling changes. And you're like, okay, this is still understandable. In the third yeah. track, um, it does have a beat. Uh, but then it just gets more and more frantic. And in the fourth track, it's just like a mess. And it's my favorite <laughs> track. Uh, Wait, is this, is this Possession of Healers? Yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Because it's like this... The bright synth in the procession of healers just bursting out of the shell and it like trumps all. Um, and uh, I was like, yeah, I'm going to have to really rethink my loop based writing. I really have to um, just forget this like eight bars, this four mm. bars, this eight bars, like drop, build up thing. And write it like us folk songs or something. I like that. that. That's a good way to think about it. I was actually going to mention your mixes and DJing and mm. see if that kind of plays a part in that as well. Because I know, I mean, when I've seen you play, I see, I, I came to see you. I think it was your mix mag lab in two thousand and. Oh yeah, you did. Nineteen was that two thousand or two thousand eighteen? I got. I think. I think eighteen. Was maybe. it two thousand eighteen? Yeah, and I mean. One thing I love about watching you is you the way you layer tracks on top of each other and, and make these beautiful new sounds. And it's just like a, a pure sonic experience. Um, do you think you. you'll take that idea of um, not using loops or, or changing how you DJ as you change with your production style? I'm not sure because DJing is fundamentally different from production in that it's yeah. a lot more functional like it functions in a space uh it has it serves the purpose of making people dance however with that being said i do really like pulling the rug from under the clubbers <laughs> like i do yeah. like fucking things up and like <laughs> Uh, stopping the beat changing the tempo really quickly so that is something i do have in common with my productions that i just don't like predictability 
I think it's more fun. I mean, like, uh, I do like listening to really smooth transitions by like the old DJ masters, uh, but that's not how I personally like to express myself. And I like yeah. lots of mess and jumping around and switching between styles, layering. So, um, I mean, but also like loops also just feel really good. <laughs> you know, when you take the kick drum out and then you bring it back in, like, whoa. God <laughs> <laughs> <That> goes wild. <laughs> Nothing can replace that. So, <laughs> on a big sound system, I don't know if anything can. Oh my God, I know. It's like, I w- or when you strip everything back and it's just a beat dropping. Wow. Oh, goodness. Yeah. <laughs> You're getting me excited. I'm getting yeah, let's change the subject it. because it's so <laughs> sad to talk about this now. I know, it really is. Um, I was actually going to mention, again, your mixes, they're so great. We're so lucky to have so many incredible curated mixes by you. Oh, thanks. Um, but one I think is very important to mention is your essential mix for Radio 1. Uh-huh. Um, it's a two-hour journey. And a, again, a, a real exploration of your sound and what you, you love. Um, how do you go about in choosing what to include? Oh, that was such... Uh, oh, that was a journey for me to trust yeah. me. So, <laughs> so Effie... Uh, very kindly said that I could come practice on her CDJs because um, she was preparing for her Mixmag Lab. And so I think her manager um, arranged for her to have four CDJs in the house um, to practice on. And uh, when I posted on Twitter, I always request things on Twitter and it always comes true. I'm very grateful. It's the best way to do it. Yeah. And I said, does somebody have like preferably more than three cdjs uh, for me to practice on um because i knew that i hadn't touched decks in so long Mm. and uh at effie's house we just couldn't get this faint hum or buzz out of the mixer so i was like oh no yeah yeah so i couldn't even record um and i was like okay that sucks uh but that's okay and i went to uh, I rented a room at Pirate Studios. I had to go really far. I had to go to Wembley because not many uh, had four CDJs at such short notice. Oh, wow. And I booked a six-hour session and I was like, cool, six-hour session so I can do like yeah. at least two full takes and maybe I'll do like, you know, uh, half an hour take to like switch up some sections if I want. Oh, no, no, no. Not even a whole take was done. I was just completely lost. I was so heartbroken. I even, like, moped on Twitter about it. I keep saying I left Twitter, but clearly I haven't. This is so embarrassing. Um, And um, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to, like, make it about my selection and... um, how much great underground music there is and it's just not going to be about my fantastic cdj skills um so i did it on my laptop i did i spent four days putting it together in my laptop well do you know what i would i would be none the wiser i mean it's still an incredible essential mix you know what i mean it's like like you said it's it's still you weaving it together yeah i if i had recorded that on cdjs it probably would be more layered uh more heavily layered but i do like what i made because you can clearly hear each each of the tracks and i put a lot of thought into them like i was like i want to give as many people as possible their first bbc play um uh from my favorite artists so i'm really happy with um the tracks i chose yeah and and i, I felt that i felt that's what i said like it was such a journey and i feel like you could really tell that it was so well thought through so thank I mean, you on, on behalf of everyone thank you very much for that oh no thank you i <laughs> i remember submitting it and being like yeah this is probably not a great mix and i'm not usually like humble what like i'm not self-deprecating about my work like i'm not one of those people who were like oh no my mix is shit i'm like yeah my mix is great i love you my give mixes. Props. Yeah. yeah but then even i was like 
I don't think it's good. Like, you know, my wife having to listen to this over breakfast. Like, um, I'll be like, babe, I don't, I know you don't know what like a record box is, but like, basically, like, I'm just, just didn't work. Like, blah, blah, blah. And she's just like, mm hmm, mm hmm. Uh, but yeah. then uh, when it came out, people really liked it. Uh, and that made me super happy. As you should. I mean, it's fantastic. Um, okay, I've got to go back into the EP because we're going to finish shortly, even though this has been such a wonderful conversation. Um, but with the EP comes the visuals. And I know you touched on it briefly with the jester mm-hmm. and some eyes we're going to see. But what else can we expect to see from the visuals? Well, um, in the trailer, you see that my face has an extremely strange circle of gems. Oh, thank you. I love it. Thank you. I like, um, I did a few practices and then I remember in the first one, I still looked quite pretty. And then by the day we filmed it, I just like looked fucking insane. Um, (laughs) and then, um, uh and uh i was like do i look creepy and she was my wife was like yes and i was like good okay i wanted to get there um because like i'm just really i really don't want people to be like oh she's trying to look pretty so she can sell her music like no like it it's not like that at all and it's actually Mm. very demeaning when men come and comment on my appearance or like how i'm more marketable because i'm pretty um like the downside of that is not having my music taken seriously so um i really don't want anything to do with that and i was like i want people to know i'm not dressing up personally i'm playing a character and it's creepy and it's unsettling because that the ep is unsettling i think it's really pretty but i think it's also a very uncomfortable album i mean i think my sound is just uncomfortable to most people i get told this a lot um but uh individual there's going to be a lot of like fantastical um just creepy what is going on sort of visuals i mean that's natalia's style anyway like for example, the floating boobs that I was so confused <laughs> by. Uh, but then I did ask her to make an interior because Grotto takes place in a house. It's a family home. Um, oh. Not many family homes have like a jester in it, but uh, uh, there is a floor and walls in a corridor. And uh, everything else is up to her. It looks really, It looks really good. Oh, I'm looking forward to this a lot. Yeah. Um, I was... For my final, I guess, question, um, how do you envision that we should listen to it as the audience? Where would you like us to listen to it? How would you like us to listen to it? (laughs) Or watch it? Uh, Just just put it on really loud. That's all I ask. Anything else is up to you. But um, if you are going to join us for the video show premiere, then... I say light some candles, get a glass of something you like and just sit back because it's a very theatrical EP with a theatrical visual. So it's like a night at the night at the opera, except there is no... Get dressed up. Oh yeah, please. I <laughs> fully believe in dressing up at home. It's f- so fun. I um, yeah, I, I, I'm wearing a dress that I sewed actually in the video. Um, oh, wow. I can't sew, so uh, but that's okay because I'm not trying to make a pretty dress. I'm trying to make a creepy dress, and <laughs> it's covered in writing. Um, and then I chose a few different bodies of text to write. Mm. Um, one of them is one of them is from a self-help book, um, and then I have a track called "Exorcism of a Self-Help Book," so that works. Another that one works is home. Another one is uh, Homecoming by Harold Pinter, one of my favorite plays, and it's about a dysfunctional family. Um, and uh, she, uh, so if you look on my dress, you probably can't see it because my dress has a lot of gathers and um, like just really wrinkled up. But like it says daft, daft cunt or, on, <laughs> on a part of my dress. So you can expect that too. Were you, were you just feeling that then and you just thought, that person is a daft cunt or <laughs> no i just didn't um i started like copying the first page of the homecoming onto the dress with a sharpie uh. and then there's a part where like somebody says like 
are you listening to me, you daft cunt? And I was like, mm, I guess like, <laughs> I can't stop now. So, yeah. <laughs> I love it. Well, I mean, thank you so much for chatting with us today. And thank oh, you so thank much you. for going into your EP, which, I mean, I'm so excited to, to see and to listen to, as we, I'm sure we all are. Thank um, you so much. Yeah, it's this has this has been such a lovely conversation. It was great to talk to you, Helena. I know, so great, so great. It's been way too long. When when we're out, we'll have to rekindle on the dance floor. Oh, please. <laughs>